Hello and good morning. It's Monday, the 12th of March, 2018. Hopefully you had a wonderful weekend and the switch to daylight savings time didn't throw you off as much as it did me. So before we dive in, uh, just a quick note uh, on a technicality. Um, let me know what you think about this episode's audio quality. I'm using a new method to record instead of using my iPhone. I'm using a USB mic and recording through Audacity um, and trying to apply some filters that hopefully are making the voice quality sound better, crisper, and just all around more pleasant to listen to. So do let me know which of the recordings you prefer, this one or our previous episodes. So then, for today, three primary things to discuss. First, Tesla's relative lack of product segmentation and what that means for it, um, especially as new uh, competitors start to roll onto the the market. Uh, Second, Starsky Robotics, the autonomous trucking company, they recently raised a very, very nice Series A. We'll be talking about them. And third and finally, um, I'm going to dive into a topic that I've written about in the past, but not yet discussed here on Autonomous Cars, um, the infamous trolley paradox and why I think the solution is really not that complicated. And indeed, this is one of those things where the simplest solution is quite possibly the right one. So let's dive in and get started. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so Tesla. Um, Until now, they have had a grand total of three products, if you exclude the original Roadster. Uh, Of course, there's the Model S, the X, and the recently launched Model 3. Yes, on the horizon, we know that they're also planning a Model Y, which is sort of a scaled-down version of the X, and that's good. Thing is, though, that with Jaguar's recent announcement, as we discussed last week, um, of the I-Pace, their first fully electric vehicle, um, essentially it's a fully electric SUV. Um, what we discovered is that not only does Tesla now have a really viable competitor on the horizon to say nothing at all about Porsche's upcoming offerings, not to mention Volkswagen and several other car makers besides, uh, in the next four to five years, um, what Jaguar's new offering with the I-Pace really shows is that not only are viable, good competitors on the way for Tesla, but... Well, suddenly we notice that Tesla's relatively slim product offering may pose a bit of an Achilles heel. So to understand what I'm on about, look at the I-Pace. It's, um, well, it's mechanically remarkably similar to the Tesla S and X. Um, It's got roughly the same battery capacity, range, performance, and even charging rates. But where it differs really, besides price point, is size. It isn't really a direct competitor to the X or even to the S. Um, Frankly, it's quite a bit smaller than those. So really, it doesn't compete directly with any of Tesla's products. Um, And that's both kind of a blessing and a curse. Well, I mean, it's a blessing for Jaguar in the sense that it doesn't really have a direct competitor then. It's kind of on its own, uh, which is good. For for Jaguar, not so good for Tesla. Um, The point is, if you want a Tesla, you're either going to have to spend a lot of money um, and get the S or the X, or if you want to spend less money, 
but there's an asterisk there, uh, you get the Model 3. Now, for the footnote, um, okay, the, the Model 3 starts at 35k or, or 37 or whatever it is, but it very easily, very quickly, uh, almost necessarily ends up getting hugely inflated to uh, fifty dollars to $60,000. Uh, in contrast, the I-Pace, okay, it's going to be around seventy k. never mind the options you can tack onto it, but the point is, um, it's a very different sort of a car. So by way of analogy, let's look at the Chevy Bolt. We also discussed this last week. Uh, the Bolt is a fantastic little car, both technically with respect to its you know, capacity, its range, and even its driving performance, and even its dynamics. I really enjoyed, sorry about that, really enjoyed driving it. Um, but, you know, it also starts at 35K. Um, and so even when you tack on some options, it really is also in a league of its own. There just isn't a direct competitor from Tesla or really anybody else. So what does this mean? Well, it means that one of two things is going to happen. Either Jaguar I-Pace is going to come out and rather like the Chevy Bolt, it'll be free of any competition whatsoever. And it's going to do really, really well uh, because of that. Um, But Tesla is not going to be adversely affected because, well, typically people aren't cross-shopping Tesla's with, say, the Chevy Bolt. The thing is, though, I don't think that's going to be true when the Jaguar comes out. I think people will be cross-shopping the Tesla with the with the I-Pace. Um, and, but again, that, that, that notion of cross-shopping is going to just sort of uh, fall on its face because there isn't really any uh, overlap in the product lines. So essentially, you're going to go to the Jaguar if you want sort of a smallish crossover vehicle with Tesla levels of performance. Um, but you don't want to spend quite as much money as, say, an S or an X. Or if money is no option, uh, or if you want a larger vehicle, then you're just going to go to Tesla. Money not being an option means you just want to have a Tesla because Tesla, in the same way that in many cases you want an Apple just because Apple, putting aside for a moment any technical benefits, um, or very legitimately you just need a larger vehicle size, which the X and even the S will offer over the I-Pace. So looking at Tesla then as a whole, what does this mean? Well, it means that if Tesla really wants to get competitive, arguably it's going to really have to branch out its uh, it's product line. I say if it wants to get competitive, I'm, I'm thinking sort of in the future here. I'm saying, you know, once other car makers start to roll out more and more direct viable competitors to Tesla, um, it, it is going to probably need to start to roll out more uh, more offerings. Um, so if you look at BMW, Mercedes, Ford, everybody, right, they've all got many, many different, um, well, let's just put it this way. There is no longer a sort of too big, too small, and just perfect Goldilocks size is there for cars. Um, now you've got literally something for everyone. I mean, just look at BMW, right? Their first SUV was the X5. Then they ended up with the X3, which was sort of a scaled down X5. Um, but now you've got the X1, the X2, the X3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Well, anyway, 7's been announced. It's not out yet. Uh, and then look at Mercedes, the same thing, right? you got the GLA, S, E, S. I said that twice, didn't I? The GLA, the GLC, the GLE, the GLS. There we go. Um, the, the, the point is, uh, automakers have discovered that it's really, really important to have a particular size for every single particular taste and preference. Um, now <clears throat> if we draw an analogy to one of my favorite other topics, which is food, uh, because of course it is, uh, look at really fine restaurants, right? Typically really fine restaurants have been, you know, characterized as sort of, they tend to have smaller, more simple menus, um, and what's interesting is if you look at tech, you see sort of the same thing. Look at Apple, right? At least in the Steve Jobs era, Apple was really famous for having a very, very slim line of product offerings. You had the iPod, you had maybe two different types of MacBooks, you had an iMac, um, 
obviously then you had the iPad and of course the iPhone, which was always just one model. Now in the Tim Cook era, you've suddenly got more iPhone models than I can keep track of. Same with iPads. Um, Way too many MacBooks, um, two of which really seem to essentially overlap one another, the MacBook Air and the just basic MacBook. Uh, and then, of course, we've got the MacBook Pro with and without the touch bar and so on and so forth. Um, so that gets really kind of sloppy, kind of messy. Uh, again, obviously, Tim Cook probably doing this because it turns out that people do want to have the variety, as the car manufacturers have discovered. Um, and then I suppose one could make the the, the you know the distinction that, that, that maybe there's a difference with respect to whether you're going super high end and super low end. Super high end tends to have fewer offerings than the uh, the low end tends to have more offerings. Um and I guess you could say that's true. I mean, certainly if you look at the really high end of automotive, right, Ferrari, Lamborghini, uh, Bentley, indeed, they have fewer product offerings. That's true. But what's interesting is that even those uh, creme de la creme offerings, right, they, uh, they even they've been rolling out more product lines, right? So Ferrari have even announced that they, and, and I guess this was sort of alluded to when they rolled out their FF, which is a Ferrari four-wheel drive hatchback. Um, They uh, sort of alluded to this, and indeed it looks like Ferrari are also going to follow in the footsteps of Bentley and Lamborghini uh, with an SUV of their own. I mean, this is just wild stuff, right? So really everyone is acknowledging that, look, you've got to have, for better or worse, um, a product for everyone. No such thing as Goldilocks then, or if you prefer, a Goldilocks for everyone. Um... So there you have it. That's sort of the issue with with Tesla. So let me know what you think, whether you think, uh, first of all, that this sort of limited product range of Tesla is going to start to hurt it in the coming years. Uh, and if so, whether you agree and foresee that indeed they will start to branch out as quickly as possible, rolling out more new additional product lines like the forthcoming Model Y and the oft-rumored Tesla pickup truck. Um, or alternatively, whether you think that Tesla is going to just going to kind of continue the path that Apple used to take, or for that matter, very fine restaurants, as we alluded to earlier, Um, you know, whether they're just going to keep their product offerings very slim. So that's Tesla. Next up, let's discuss uh, Starsky Robotics and their recent Series A. Right, so Starsky Robotics, headed up by Stefan Salz-Achmacher and Kartik Tiwari, they have just announced a really exciting thing, Series A financing to the tune of $16.5 million by Shasta Ventures. This um, brings their total to $20.3 million. Um, so this is a really big deal. Here's why. Um one of the big concerns with autonomous cars generally is that, well, it's going to put a lot of people out of business. It's going to put a lot of people out of work and really flood our streets with a lot of unemployed. Um, this is obviously a big concern with, uh, you know, with Uber. They're, they've made no secret of the fact that they intend eventually fully autonomous fleets to essentially uh, negate and uh, basically remove all human drivers altogether. This will be a huge boost to their bottom line, but of course at the expense of, well, a lot of humans who will suddenly be without a form of employment. So this is a potentially problematic thing, including and especially in the trucking industry, which is said to be the largest, if not, uh, you know, certainly at least one of the largest, if not the very largest employer in the United States. So Starsky Robotics um, are 
kind of, as far as I know anyway, really the the only autonomous car company which are trying to provide a solution that sort of uh, kind of takes care of this issue. So their trucks are indeed fully autonomous um, for at least 99% of the journey. For the first and last mile, so to speak, the trucks will be re- remotely operated. Um, essentially, these will be drone trucks with a remote operator that will drive the trucks at the start and end of the journey. So through the small city streets, docking procedures, and so on. But on the open stretch of road, on the open highway, make no mistake, these trucks are fully autonomous. And indeed, they just demonstrated as much in Florida on a seven-mile stretch of freeway. No driving, uh, no driver operator at the wheel for backup at all. Granted, the vehicle uh, was driving along on totally deserted roads. The uh, the Florida Highway Patrol had shut down this, the stretch of road for seven miles, but nevertheless, it was a resounding success. Seven miles, no backup driver in the driver's seat, and uh, it was a success. So this is, this is a really big thing indeed. And, um, you know, I think the big takeaway here is, okay, there's many different companies that are working towards autonomous trucking because, again, really, really huge industry, of course. But in the case of Starsky Robotics, the idea, the hope, of course, is that the current truck drivers of today will not in fact lose their jobs rather they'll be able to work remotely optimally even from the comfort of their own homes just taking control during the first and last miles of the journey so this is a really really great thing indeed and hopefully we'll be able to get Stefan on this show uh very very soon indeed to talk to him about starsky robotics and what his team has in store in the coming months right so next up we have the infamous trolley paradox Right, so the trolley paradox, you've probably heard of this before. It goes something like this. I mean, there's many variations, but in its purest form, it says something like, you know, you've got a car, a self-driving car, it's going down the road, and in front of it, it sees little old grandma crossing the street. To the right, on the sidewalk, it sees an eight-year-old child. Um, You know, and then on the other side, across the road, if it swerves to avoid both grandma and avoid hitting the child, uh, it will face certain death and kill the human operator's or I should say the human passengers inside. So really, it's um, either you kill your passengers, you kill grandma, or you kill the little child on the sidewalk, swerving to avoid grandma. Um, So really, it's trying to put forth the self-driving car equivalent of the famous Kobayashi Maru scenario made famous in Star Trek mythology. Um, Really, it's trying to suggest what what should a self-driving car do in a no-win scenario. Now, quoting the good Captain Kirk, who doesn't believe in no-win scenarios, well, I kind of tend to agree. Uh, I've written about this extensively. You can actually see an article directly on point on Medium. The title is, This is the Solution to the Infamous Self-Driving Car Ethics Paradox. Um, And really the question is, in its purest form, should a self-driving car kill its occupants in order to save 10 people? Obviously, this then is a very popular Catch-22 ethics dilemma about self-driving cars. And really, it's kind of a, I mean, on its face, it's a really legitimate question. My whole point is, as I'm about to demonstrate, I think it's a rather silly thing. Here's why. First, um, this is not really a scenario that's likely to happen. You're not going to really have this sort of a binary scenario in real life. It just it just isn't going to happen. Um, and even if it were to occur, because that is ultimately what we have to answer here, how should the car behave? What should the self-driving car do? I mean, it is, I mean, 
if you accept that this fringe case can occur, it is actually a valid question. What should the car do? Does it kill grandma? Does it kill the child? Or does it kill the occupants? Well, fortunately, I don't think we need to make stuff up. We don't have to sort of smash our heads together thinking of how we should be programming these cars, AI systems, to handle such a scenario because we've already answered this question in good old law. Yeah, um, the basic uh, tort of negligence uh, already answers this question for us. It asks the question, you know, whether a reasonably prudent person would act accordingly. So <clears throat> in law, the classic textbook case on point was a taxi driver um, driving along uh, a passenger who pulled a gun and threatened him uh, at gunpoint. Well, um, this taxi driver, in an act of panic and you know panicked desperation, ended up swerving the taxi, rather cleverly I should say, uh, onto the sidewalk, smashing the taxi into a brick wall uh, as a way of sort of essentially disarming the, the passenger with the gun, right? You hit a brick wall, you're going to probably lose your gun in the process of the collision. Well, in the midst of doing all this, the taxi ended up hitting a pedestrian, uh, severely injuring the pedestrian. So at issue was whether this was reasonable. Would an ordinary person in this situation um, have acted the same way? Would a reasonable person have thought to swerve the taxi up and over the sidewalk uh, into a brick wall if being held at gunpoint? Well, what the law decided was that this wasn't even an ordinary scenario at all, in which case this would have been pretty negligent. This was an emergency circumstance, and so this is the so-called emergency doctrine, which arose out of this, out of this, um, out of this case. Um, and since then, it's really been applied as a valid test to any such scenario like this. You know, the issue is not whether a reasonable person would have acted like this in an ordinary scenario, but would a reasonable person have acted like this in an emergency scenario? Here, uh, we have a situation where we can apply the same emergency doctrine to self-driving cars. Um, I think it goes without saying that any ordinary human driver, when faced with the impossible circumstance of running over grandma in the intersection or swerving to avoid hitting grandma, but instead hitting a child on the sidewalk, or alternatively to swerve the other direction into a brick wall, sparing grandma and child, but to the detriment of the occupants, I think it's pretty safe to say that any driver would actually do Option C, avoiding grandma and child to the detriment of the driver. I mean, I think every driver's natural instinct is that no matter what, you avoid pedestrians, full stop. And I think that's the very simple solution. That's how self-driving cars should be programmed. No matter what, you simply do not hit pedestrians. And that's the end of it. Doesn't matter if it's a child, grandma, old person, cat, dog, well, I'm half kidding about the cat, dog, I suppose. But certainly when it comes to humans, uh, you just do not hit them, no matter what. Um, and, and here the idea is that we'd be essentially, we'd be mirroring the 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 experiences and the, uh, the instinct. Um, and indeed, we'd be mirroring and applying the law of the emergency doctrine to fully autonomous cars. So that's, I think, the very easy solution to this infamous trolley paradox, and I would suggest, please, that we just put this behind us now, because really, it's a silly discussion in the first place, uh, and it really is just a fringe case, which, yes, I agree, fringe cases need to be addressed, but really, let's just put this behind us now. Apply the emergency doctrine, and that's the end of it. 
Right. So there you have it. That is our podcast episode for today. Um, Hope you liked it. As always, please do upvote it wherever you listen. Do make a point to share it. And as a reminder, um, look, if you listen on anchor.fm, you'll be able to leave me voice messages with which I can engage directly because, again, the whole hope of this show is that we do, in fact, have a two-way dialogue on these topics. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of debates in various different directions, and I certainly welcome it. So just uh, keep that in mind. And finally, uh, if you want to reach out to me directly, Twitter is actually the best way to do so. You can find me at Mark Hogue, that's M-A-R-C-H-O-A-G on Twitter. So do shoot me a message um, and I look forward to talking with you. So that'll do it for today. Thank you so much for listening and until next time, goodbye.